Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Eric Waz from Better IQ. Waz, thank you very much for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Eric Waz from Better IQ. Waz, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jake. I'm excited to be here. I love your podcast, and I uh, can't wait to, to talk with you here. So, Waz, I believe you're in Vegas at the moment, but you didn't start there. Tell us your journey to, to getting to Las Vegas and involved in sports betting. Yeah, so I've been here since 2010, so about nine years. Um, I started out in the corporate world, in corporate accounting. Uh, I worked in public accounting for about six years, I went to the corporate world of accounting uh, and finance, and that's kind of how I got my start with numbers and and found out that, hey, I like numbers, I'm good at numbers, uh, I like building models, did a lot of modeling when I was in finance, and really enjoyed those aspects of it, and, and all along that time in my 20s, you know, I, I was betting as well on the side, I always had a, a bookie or an offshore account or something where I can have access to bet, and I just, you know, I liked it, I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't a big winner or anything in my 20s. I was just learning, gathering information, you know, kind of honing my, my craft, so to speak, to get better. And, uh, you know, didn't get destroyed, didn't get, didn't, you know, didn't get any big winnings either. But along the way, I was learning. And finally, when I started getting my late 20s, I realized that I really didn't want to do accounting for the rest of my life. I didn't like the people I was working with. I didn't really like having a boss, not being able to set my own schedule. I really enjoyed flexibility. I really wanted the ability to work from home. And I started thinking more and more about it, that if I if I did spend full-time hours on sports betting, maybe it was something I could do full-time and make a living at it. I wasn't sure, wasn't certain of that. Um, but I, I decided when I turned 30 that, you know, now's a good time as ever to try it. And I just got married about uh, six months before we took the plunge to come out to Vegas, and the hard job was convincing my my new my new wife that hey, I'm gonna quit a a good six figure income job where I've worked up you know the corporate ladder so to speak, work really hard to get here, a pretty good career in front of me, but now let's let's start over and go to Las Vegas and have me become a pre- professional sports better. So um, that wasn't an easy conversation, um, but. <laughs> Um, I kind of bartered with her a little bit. She wanted a, a dog at the time and I was very anti-dog. I didn't grow up with animals in the house. <laughs> and, uh, I said, Hey, how about we get a dog? And then we moved to Las Vegas and we'll try it for a year. And the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work out. We come back to, to Chicago where I'm originally from. And I go back into an accounting job. Things are like they were. My wife worked from home, so she could move around the country. No big deal. Wouldn't affect her, her job at all. So, 
that's kind of how I got here is, uh, you know, the dog was involved as part of the deal and we still have the dog to, to this day. He's great. And I actually love him probably more than my wife does. So I became a dog lover in part of the process as well. And, uh, I've been on sports for the last nine years now. Very cool. It sounds like you might've hedged or arbitraged or whatever you did to get there, but it, it sounds interesting. So tell me throughout your earlier twenties, when you were still betting and you're working in finance, do you remember, some of the challenges you had then or some of the issues that resulted in not being able to win? Is it what we all have, which is, you know, over betting, you know, not understanding the sports betting marketplace as well and, and similar issues like that? I'll be honest. I think the biggest reason why I wasn't that successful, well, A, was lack of experience. I, I do think there's a learning curve in sports betting and it is quite steep in the beginning. Um so I did a lot of reading on message boards and forums. I bought every single sports betting book that was out there, which there aren't that many. They're not that great, but I read them all. Um, talked to people who did this at a high level. Talked to some people who lived in Las Vegas. So, But my biggest thing that held me back was the time. I really didn't have the time to spend. I worked 50, 60 hours a week in public accounting uh, for most of the year. Uh, even when I got into the corporate accounting world in finance, I was working heavy hours different times of the year. So I just didn't have – you know, you really need to dedicate a, a decent amount of time. And I was doing, you know, five minute handicaps a lot. And you know, as well as I do that a five minute handicap doesn't really go very far. You need to dig in a little more. You need to have some power ratings. You need to have a way to make a number, a way to feel comfortable with your edge. And I didn't really have an edge. I didn't have a way, you know, if somebody asked me back then, tell me what your edge is. I, you know, I didn't have a good answer for him and because I didn't have one. I didn't have the time to invest to build a good model, which I, which I use now in each sport. I didn't have the time to read. I'm a big reader now. So I, I just find tidbits of information now that I know are valuable things that, you know, coaches are saying, um, breaking down injuries, looking at game logs, box scores, all those things take time. And I really think that, you know, if I were doing some of those things, maybe on a smaller scale back then, if I had maybe le you know limited myself to maybe betting one sport or one conference and like say college basketball, college football, I probably could have dug in more. But I was trying to do everything. I was betting NFL, I was betting college basketball, I was doing hockey. So you know, to anybody out there who's kind of maybe coming up, a younger guy coming up who wants to learn how to do it the right way, I would say you probably pick one sport or one conference focused on that and dig all the way in instead of just trying to touch on everything, because then you can really discover those edges and find those good tidbits of information that, that really lead to an edge and, and you give yourself some time to really, you know, create the ratings you need and create the system you need to really, uh, to really thrive and have that edge. I'm curious if there was ever a clash between some of the concepts and ideas you probably worked within and maybe not directly the same, but the ones in finance and accounting versus sports betting, because obviously the analytical craze now in, in modeling and sports betting wasn't always that way. I'm curious if there was ever any, you know, times where you read those books or throughout your research where you thought, you know, this seems to be the expert way, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, I, in my finance jobs, I definitely did a lot of forecasting and modeling, but it was such a basic level i wasn't you know and i'm till to this day right now i'm not uh i don't consider myself you know um a person that has these great sophisticated models i don't use i don't, I don't program i'm not a coder i don't use things like r and matlab and these programs out there I, most of my stuff 90 percent of my stuff is done in excel so that's what i knew as an accountant and a finance guy 
I use Excel to build models then, and I use Excel to build models now. And you can do, I mean, Excel is very powerful. You can do a lot of things in Excel. You know, I use a lot of data sets and with those data sets, I can do pivot tables, lookups, and I can create things, you know, that pop out to me as edges. Um, if I look at the data the right way and you can download some, some, you know, some plugins to Excel to do a little more powerful stuff. So I, you know, you don't really need to be, um, it's starting to change a little bit, but you don't really need to be a big coder and programmer to really have that edge. And I didn't really do any of that stuff in my earlier days. So I, I keep it relatively simple. I do say I'm a modeler to a, to an extent, but I'm kind of a hybrid person. I do modeling. I do a lot of reading. I watch games. I'm kind of an information hog, so I kind of gather tidbits. So it's a little bit of everything. The modeling is probably only about, you know, 25% uh, of what I do, and it's just enough to give me like a baseline number to where I know, okay, I found some good information on a game. Let's go back to the model and see what the line should be because maybe the information I found is already in the line. So me having that model kind of gives me that baseline to say, okay, the line should be seven. I'm looking at the line. It is seven. Now I have this information that, I found that I think it's worth maybe a point, point and a half. I know it's not in the number now because my models tell me the market number is what it should be. So I don't use totally the model. Like a lot of guys out there, the model is everything. They built every little nuance that they can think of in their handicap approach into the model. That's not me. It's just one factor of many for me. So, um, you know, it's something I want to get better at and want to, you know, keep, you know, improving my model to the point where maybe at some point I can, you know, rely on a little more and be a little more efficient with my work. But at this point, I really feel like you have to watch games. You have to read. You have to do those other things if you want to get the full edge uh, out of sports betting. Have you come up with a process to try and figure out when something might be factored into the line versus when it might not be? Um, a little bit. Um, I've been pretty good and take it with a grain of salt when I say pretty good. I mean, I'm, I'm able to quantify some things that I think other people struggle with quantifying. Um, one thing is like scheduling effects. I'm really good at, you know, based on the data sets I've gotten, I've got about 20 years of the data for each sport. Um, some even a little bit longer than that. And I'm able to quantify, you know, what's it worth when a team goes and plays their fourth game in six nights, they've traveled 4,000 miles during that, that span and let's say a lot of their games in that span were very close games where the starters play a lot of minutes. I have a good idea what that's worth. Um, not exactly, but I know it's roughly what it's worth. Um, it does vary by team, to be honest, but depending on depth and things like that. But I have a good idea just based on some back testing I've done. So, um, so yes, I, yes, but there are other things that come up, even injuries. I mean, injuries are very hard to quantify. It's not just simply what the player is worth. Sometimes a player makes other, other players around him better. Sometimes it affects chemistry. So there's a lot of factors out there that you can't put a number on always exactly. But it doesn't matter if you can't exactly quantify something. Really, it's can you quantify it better than the marketplace can? Because if you can do that, you're still going to have an edge and you're still going to win. So I like to say that, hey, these are estimates, but they're better estimates of what the rest of the the players in the market are, are using and how they're, how they're dialing things up. So um, – I feel like that's one of my strengths and it's still something I think I can get better at, but um, quantifying the effects of things you read and things you find it's, you have to have at least some kind of process for that. Because like I said before, those things you're finding, they could already be in the line. And if you don't, you know, if you don't have a good baseline number and don't have a good way of quantifying, you know, certain things you see and read, you're really going to struggle to ever know if, if that edge is really there or not. 
take me back to day one when you moved to Vegas or even when you realized you wanted to do it professionally. What, like literally, what did you want to achieve? Did you want to be a wealthy, successful professional better? Did you want to, you know, beat the closing line as much as possible? Did you want to just, um, you know, not go back to your accounting job? Do you remember exactly what was the, the driver or the passion behind what you were doing? Well, all, all those things sounded, sounded about right. I mean, the biggest thing for me was, can I make a living out of this so I never have to have a regular job again? And I also wanted to be able to make an income that was close to what I did in my accounting. I didn't want to, you know, take a 50% pay cut or even a, even a 25% pay cut. I wanted to be in the ballpark of what I make, made in my accounting days because it would be hard for me to, to you know, perform a job each day knowing that I could make twice as much money going back to accounting, which, you know, came rather easy to me and I was doing well in it. didn't enjoy it so much, but so I want to make, you know, around the same ballpark of money. And I wanted to, you know, have that flexibility, that lifestyle, you know, wake up whenever I want, um, set my own schedule, my own hours, not to say not to not work hard, but just be able to do it on my own time, my own, my own calendar. So that was really the only goal. I didn't really come in with, okay, I'm going to make, exactly x amount of money i'm gonna make this many units in this sport this many units in this sport. i didn't really do it like that i'm not a big um goals guy um i have goals but they're more vague they're not you know centered around exact amount of money exact amount of units i just want to do it at a high level and want to crush it and want to prove to myself i can do it and like i said never go back to the corporate world again because i just didn't you know, I kind of despised that life and, 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 you know, the people I was around, I just did not enjoy it. And I just wanted to make sure I made enough money. So, so that wasn't, uh, you know, a fallback plan to go back to. Has that changed at all over the last sort of nine years, I suppose? No, I mean, it really, I'll be honest, the first, I got very lucky. Um, the first few months I got out here, I was red hot. I came out in the fall, which is a great time to start because, all the sports are going on in the fall. So I was, I, I'm a high volume better, um, especially in my early days. And I got a lot of bets in. Um, I did very well. I, I exceeded, you know, my normal ROI. So I got off to a really good start. So my bankroll got a good boost right off the bat, um, which was a big confidence builder. Cause I, you know, at the end of the day coming out here, I didn't really know for sure if I was going to be good enough to do this. Cause I hadn't won a lot of money in the past betting on the side. I just, didn't have the time and didn't didn't really know if you know if for sure I could win. Now I did have a friend that was very influential in getting me out here. Uh, he was out in Vegas about a year and a half before I was. Took the same kind of plunge as me, where he quit a good job, came out here with his wife, and you know he basically proved to himself, hey, this is this is beatable. I can do it. So he was kind of like my guinea pig in a way. He's just a guy I met on the forums, a guy we talked online a lot. I never really met him in person, but we ended up talking on the phone a lot. And if it wasn't for him, I don't know if I would have taken the plunge um, as early as I did. But the fact that he was doing well, I was learning a lot from him. He was kind of showing me, you know, some things around town when I got here and, you know, what to do, what not to do. Um, so that was big. So I got off to a really good start. I actually won a, a big contest here in Vegas in my first year as well, the last man standing at uh, Stations Casinos, where I won um, $86,000, which is another big bankroll booster to me as well, which got my confidence up there. So I got lucky because if I would have came up, moved out here, and for whatever reason, can't cut off on a, on a bad foot, you know, and start off with a downswing right away, where my bankroll got chopped down by, let's say, 30, 40%, there's a very good chance that I would have turned around and said, you know what? I don't think this is for me. I'm not as good as I thought I was. But 
the way it worked out was very fortunate. And I had a couple of really good years, uh, year one and year two were fabulous. Um, and from that point on, my bankroll is at a point where, okay, I have enough money now to where I know I never have to go back to the corporate world. And I, I'm safe. Even if I have a bad year or things, you know, don't want as much money down the road in certain years, it's going to be fine. So we kind of built up a nice little bankroll there. And at that point, it was kind of no looking back. Given, I, I imagine in the beginning, you started by yourself. How did you go about the analysis and the handicapping side and, and separating that from the betting side and actually the execution of placing the bets? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand or respect the fact that, you know, there's two things. There's that being a handicapper and there's being a better. And there's some people that are really good handicappers out there and some people that are really good betters, but there's not a lot of people that do both really well. And I think being a better better is, is actually harder than being a good handicapper. I really do. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that can handicap really well, but they don't understand a lot of the nuances of, of placing bets. Um, they don't understand the marketplace, the screen. They just don't understand um, a lot of the concepts that, that you know, should be easy to understand, but they, they get so caught up in the, the game itself, the handicapping, they lose sight of the betting. So um, I would say when I first moved here, I was a much better handicapper. Um, I, I built some models really quickly. Um, I worked really hard. I read a lot. I found a lot of good tidbits. And I'll be honest, the market nine years ago, was much more beatable than it is today. So I spoke, focused a lot of time on college basketball and college basketball nine years ago was almost like stealing. If you did the work, um, you had to work hard, you had to find good information. Um, but college basketball, particularly the second halves market, um, there was a lot of flaws with how the books made lines. So if you paid attention to games, looked at box scores, and we're, we're able to make a halfway decent number. Um, you, you got off to a nice head start and there was almost no way you could lose if you put the time and effort in. So that's changed a lot now. Um, now I think the betting skills are a little bit more important. Um, we don't see as many different numbers on the screen as you used to. I think, uh, you know, timing your bets is important. When do you bet? Um, you know, it, there's so many different factors. Now, back, I look back when I was a handicapper, more of a handicapper, and I didn't think about a lot of like the marketplace, a lot of those things. I just, I just did my handicapping, put my bets in and the numbers were bad enough back then. That it didn't really matter that my, my betting skills maybe weren't that good. Um, but over the years and having the experience of doing this, you talk to people, you see things, you, you sit in front of that screen for, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, that Don best screen, stare at it. You start picking things up, patterns and whatnot. And, you know, you finally start learning different things about, about betting and about the marketplace. And that's really what makes you more complete sports bettors, having both the handicapping and the betting side of it and putting those two together. How easy is it for you in reality to separate the handicapping and then the betting? Or by way of an example, if, if you think a game should be seven and it opens seven and goes straight down to four and a half pretty quickly and there's no injuries or there's no crazy factors or variables out there, do you then go back and dig into the handicapping side and try and figure out what the market's seeing that you might not have, or do you keep it entirely siloed? No, I, I definitely will go back and look. And I'll be honest, one of my, at this point, it wasn't the case early on in my betting days, but at this point, I have a very firm grasp of what the market does. I know what a lot of the syndicates out there, how they bet, a lot, how their models work. So I have a really good understanding of when to place my bets and 
what side is the market's going to take. So a lot of times I'll know for a particular game, I like this game. It's plus seven now. I like this game a lot, but I know it's going to go against me. So I'll wait for the eight, eight and a half, nine later on. There's other games where I know this game's going to move immediately when it gets opened or overnight. It's going to get hit hard. If I like this side, I better bet it now versus later on because I know a group's going to hit it. I know, you know, this rogue betters, you know, are going to, are going to find this game and say, wow, this is a mistake line. So that's one of the things that has made me a lot more complete better is just knowing, you know, when to place those bets, um, where to place those bets, you know, just managing your outs is another big, um, you know, problem for when you get to, to be a serious better and you're betting decent dollars, you know, how to manage your outs and where to place the bets are, are a little more, a little bigger problem than you, people think. So you've got to put that into the equation as well. It wasn't a problem when I was coming out here, you know, in 2010 when I was betting nickels and dimes all the time. It's, you know, it's much easier. I didn't really care about that stuff, especially being in Las Vegas. But these days it's a bigger problem. So all those variables um, come into play. So, yeah, I, I do go back and, you know, I see things in the market that don't make sense to me. I definitely go back and read because usually when you see a big move in my, you know, I have a good firm grasp of what the market does. So when I see something that surprises me, which doesn't happen a ton, but when it, when it does happen, there's probably something out there that I, I missed either an injury or, you know, something's happened in the last few games, the lineup change, something dynamic that that's shifting how people view a team and, usually I can find that pretty quickly. If I can't find it really quickly and my models are telling me this line should not have moved that way. That's when I start texting people <laughs> and calling people that I know who handicap that sport and say, Hey, what's going on here? Why is this, why is this line moving this direction? Doesn't make any sense to me. And I've got a couple of guys I talk to on a, on a day in day out basis. We kind of share thoughts on um, line moves and, 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 you know, why things do, why, why lines move the way they do. And it, so I, that has really helped me, learn a lot you know just about the market how people think and how all these modelers do it um i've talked to a lot of guys who model and a lot of guys that work for groups and um that was really an eye-opening experience for me because you know that's if you can get a firm grasp of what the groups are doing the syndicates are doing and the pick services are doing then you, you kind of own the marketplace as far as knowing um what's going to happen a lot of times before it happens tell me about what goes into managing your different outs that you have do you go as deep as you know, if you're doing well at a certain bookmaker and you might be, you know, winning a fair bit of money recently that you might not want to place some of your, in quotation marks, better bets or some of your most positive EV bets there and you'll split them out around others where you might not be doing so well, for example? Yeah, that's definitely part of the equation because um, uh, you do lose outs a lot of times. Um, even in Las Vegas, you lose outs. Even you know, you know, you know. There's a lot of places that don't tolerate winning. Uh, they lower your butt sizes. They kick you out. Um, everybody knows how bad William Hill is. That you know, you don't last long if you're a professional sports better with William Hill. But there's other places around town too that they give you a hard time if your account, especially with the apps these days, when they can track all of your wagers. Um, you can't get down as much with the apps. But when you spread out five, six books, you can get down a decent bet. If you're winning on those too much, you know, you can get cut down and your limits go from, you know, a dime down to like 300 sometimes. So, yes, definitely I have a spreadsheet where I track my wins, losses, uh, profits, um, everything that goes into a bet. I track in a spreadsheet and I break it down by sports books. So I know at the end of each week where I won my money each month, where I won my money the year. And you have to be cognizant of that because, you know, it's a balancing act without sometimes. And if you lose good outs, it definitely takes away your ROI a little bit. And the last thing you want is, 
yeah, at the end of the day, not having places to bet. I mean, without places to bet, I can't do what I do. Um, people like to think that, hey, you live in Las Vegas, you should be able to get down whatever you want, whenever you want. But it's just not simply the case, especially in college basketball, my, my best sport, where with the college basketball total, a lot of places only take 500 a game, maybe 250 a game. Um, even Pinnacle, you know, early on in the college basketball season was taking $125 on a college basketball total um, overnight. I think that even that tip, it was like only like 250 So you see a lot of books being cautious these days with risk, risk management. Um, they're very cognizant of how much players are winning. They're very cognizant of how much they've been the closing lines by. Um there's just better software out there. There's better tracking and they know who the sharp players are in a very short amount of time. So you've got to think about those things constantly. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, if you're crushing it and you're winning everywhere, so be it. And you can't, you know, you can't control your best to the point of, Hey, I'm going to put my winners here, my losers there. I wish it were that easy, <laughs> but um, you do your best and you manage it. And you know, if, if you don't take the time to think about those things strategically, uh, in the end, you're gonna you're gonna end up with a lot less outs. I feel like. Take me through your bet timing or the splits. Are you always looking to bet at opening number, or maybe some examples you've already touched on? It's not high enough of a limit. But are you happy to bet closer to tip off or kick off, or are you trying to get your money down earlier when you think the lines might be a bit softer? So when I first started out, I definitely bet a lot of opening numbers. And when I'm talking opening numbers, I'm talking the first two minutes of when they get posted. Um, a lot of times I was definitely in certain markets, the very first per person betting. So I got numbers that nobody in the, the rest of the world would get. Um, that's changed for me a lot for a couple of reasons. I mean, a, I can't get as much, you know, I'm trying to get more, more money down now than I did my early days. And a lot of limits have gotten chopped down overnight as well. Um, even at some big respected books, you can't bet as much as you could five years ago, which is kind of a shame because you would think, as time goes on and we have things like inflation and people betting more and more money that the limit should go up over time, but that's not been the case. And books have realized that having big overnight limits isn't smart for their bottom line. So for that reason, I've, I've delayed a lot of my bets. Now I will bet some overnights later in the night sometimes, um, or early morning. Uh, but there's kind of, I kind of look at it as like five, there's five different segments of the betting cycle. You have the opening number that comes out, the Virgin line. And then you have the overnight market. So people would bet before they go to bed, um, lock in a good number then. And then you got early morning. That's when a lot of the syndicates and groups are betting around, you know, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m. Pacific. Um, and then you kind of got that late late morning, early afternoon time where you don't see a ton of movement in the market. And then the last segment is that the couple hours before tip. That's where you see a lot of your recreational bettors betting, the public. That's where probably 75% of the volume comes in those last two, three hours before tip. So, I used to bet, you know, those opening numbers and overnight segments. Um, now I'm betting more early morning. I'm trying to beat the groups and syndicates out there to certain numbers and the limits at that point in time are starting to get bigger. They're, they're, they're going up at around 7 a.m., 8 a.m. Um, and then there's games where I'll wait to bet right before tip. So I do uh, things a little differently than most. I kind of have a, a mechanism where I track how the market views each team. And essentially I know – Let's just throw out a, a random example that maybe LSU in college basketball has been taking a lot of money the last five, six games. Okay, the market's betting LSU. When I compare the opener to the closer, I see maybe an average line move of let's say 1.8 points. Okay, so if I see that 1.8 point, 1.8 point move 
over the last six games, I know if I like LSU, I'm going to have to bet that game early. If I wait to bet it, you know, the morning or the afternoon of the day of the game, I'm probably going to get a worse number if I bet it overnight. So I look at those patterns. I track line movement for each team, and that gives me an idea of what time in the bet cycle I need to place my bet. Um, and that's just for me, you know, I never used to do that in my early days. I, I, at some point I said, hey, why don't I use some of the market information to my advantage? And since I started doing that, I know it's my ROI getting better. It's not because I'm handicapping any better. I'm, that might be part of it, but the, the bigger part of it is I'm placing the bets at more opportune times. So I kind of put my bets in different buckets when I handicap. So when I handicap, um, I'll, I'll list all my games I like uh, and have my 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 basically my edge next to each one. That you know I kind of separate my big bets from my small bets, and then I write down next to them um, when I plan on betting them. So I might say opening number for some, I might say um, early morning for others, I might say right before tip for others. And that's just based on those patterns I've noticed in the market, those based on when teams are getting hit. You know, I might see the Denver Nuggets taking a lot of over money the last 10 games. If I'm betting Denver Nuggets under, then I'm going to wait right before tip because I'll let the market bet the way they've been betting over the last 10 games. And I'll come in late and get maybe two points better number than I would have got early in the morning. So things like that have really upped my game and maybe a better better. And the kind of things that I think the common better doesn't think about. I know a lot of people kind of make their bets uh, all at the same time or they get in a kind of routine or habit where they like to bet everything at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. in the morning, whatever it is. And they don't think about the fact that, you know, some of their bets, a subset of their bets should be being, being made at a different time of the day than what they're making them at, not just making them all at once. So that's one thing that's really helped me in the in the, in the past and something that I uh, I think will help me in the future as well. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, what type of review or tracking of bets or like self-evaluation do you go through? Do you, for example, in those five different segments you mentioned, do you know your ROI in each of those segments, even if you would love to bet opening numbers and you maybe can't? Do you know optimal times to place bets that work for you? Yeah, I don't have the five segments tracked to ROI exactly, but I do have my overnight versus day of game ROI and my overnight ROI is significantly better than the, the day of game. Um, it's very clear and it makes a lot of sense, right? You're, you're betting into a softer market overnight. Numbers haven't moved as much. Um, so it's obvious to me based on how I do things. It should be obvious probably for most people that the earlier you bet, the better, because if you bet in the opening numbers, you're going one-on-one -on -one against the bookmaker. You're not you're not fighting with the other betters. You're, you're, you're literally going off the bookmaker's ratings and saying, okay, I think I can make a better number than you, the bookmaker. So when you're only have to beat one guy, you're gonna have a much better result um, long term than if you have to beat the entire market. So if you're waiting to bet the afternoon or the day of the game, you have to beat the entire market. You have to be smarter than than the market on average. That's hard to do. The market's pretty efficient. Um, there definitely are holes in it. There's 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 problems in, in the market sometimes where they don't make sense with certain games. But it's much easier to beat that market overnight before it's gotten bet into, before the sharps get in there, and before some of the big bets get placed early in the morning. So you know, but I'm at the point now, and I have been for the last few years, where you have this dilemma. It's like, okay, I know I'll get a better ROI if I bet the night before. However, I know I can get a bigger bet down in the morning. So do I wait to bet it and get maybe a point worse, maybe even maybe even point and a half and maybe to a point where I can't bet it at all, or I just bet it overnight for less and take the better ROI and lock in the profit that I know I'll have if I do it that way. So each game I have that dilemma, and it really comes down for me 
to those patterns of when teams are getting bet because if I know that, uh, I know that the market's going to react on certain teams, then I can wait and hold off um, on Team X until later on versus, hey, I got to bet this now. It's going to move for sure in the morning based on what I know about how they've been getting bet, what I know about different syndicates and groups and how they handicap and the models they use. So um, for me, it just comes down to, you know, case by case. So if you don't mind, take us through a typical day or week that you go through. And maybe let's say the week before or the day before uh, the start of March Madness, where there's, what, 16 games about to happen. And I'm sure that's a bit of a crazy time for you. But run us through what your typical day or week looks like. Yeah, I'll be honest. The, it does depend on time of year. My, my day varies quite a bit. And actually, right before March Madness actually isn't all that busy for me. And the reason being that there are not that many games in March compared to what there are in January and February for college basketball. I mean, we have this Saturday, there's probably going to be 120, 130 bettable games on the board for college hoops. We're not going to get that many games for the entire month of March. Um, so when you consider that um, I'm doing, I'm much busier on like a Friday, like this Friday, I'll be super busy. I'll wake up really early, like 5 a.m. And I'll, you know, I'll be ready to go with, 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 with my numbers from the night before, I'll be placing a lot of bets at 5 a.m. I'll be reading. I'll be looking at the you know, market moves, watching the screen. Um, I'm always one day ahead. So when I'm looking at Friday, um, I'm looking at, okay, the games that day I'm betting in the morning, but I'm also handicapping on Friday for Saturday's card. So Friday's usually my busiest day during college football or college basketball season and college football, to be honest. So, um, each day kind of just differs. I mean, before March Madness, like you mentioned, I mean, there's not that many games, so I don't need to do as much work. Um, you know, on a college basketball, like a Monday, we had, I think uh, yesterday we had, I think, what, four games on the entire board. So my Sunday didn't look that busy. I knew I can kind of take not a day off and maybe only work for a few hours because I only had a few games to handicap. Um, so each day is really a different animal. But um, I spent a lot of time reading. I spent a lot of time watching the screen. Um, obviously, placing bets takes up a decent amount of my time. I'm really big on record keeping, so I spend at least a half an hour to 45 minutes a day, you know, updating my, my bet logs, breaking down my bet logs. You know, where where am I doing well? Am I hitting well on totals lately? Am I hitting well on sides? What's my ROI on, on, on each of those categories? What's my ROI in each sport? Because um, I think record keeping is another area where a lot of bettors are a little bit deficient. And if you spend time analyzing your bets, what you did right, what you did wrong, um, you're definitely going to be better for it. So I spend each time each day doing that. Um, but really, it's I'll be honest, there's not like a set. I'm not a big, you know, I'm a routine guy, but I'm not so routine that I do the same exact things every single day at the same exact time. It really depends on the size of the card. Um, in the fall, when we have three, four sports going on at once, I'm handicapping. The day is completely different every single day. Um, it's really... It just depends on the sports and what's going on and, and, you know, what's going on in my personal life as well. So, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of looking at the screen, a lot of handicapping time. And I just squeeze it in where I can. Um, and, you know, during the fall, I'm working, you know, probably like 16-hour days. In the summer, I'm working more like, you know, a few hours only because we only have baseball going on. So it really depends on time of year and, and, and what season we're in. So it sounds like during baseball season, there might be – somewhat of an off-season for you if that does exist. Do you prioritize some time during those periods to do some back-testing, try and test some theories, or see how different staking methods might have worked and things like that, or is that just too hard to fit in? No, that's that's you hit it right on the head there. I mean, the time where I do all my modeling, 
work and back testing and, you know, going through different theories I have in my head that I've come up with throughout the season, um, I make a list. So as I'm going through college basketball right now, I just think of things or I, I stumble into things. And I say, hey, this is kind of interesting. I wonder if I back test this, that it might have some value. I throw it onto a list. I don't have time to do that right now. This time of year is way too much going on. I put it on a list. And then when we get to the to like the spring and summer months, I go back to my list. I say, okay, here's the you know, 18 things I wrote down during college basketball that I want to research. I'll go through all my data. I'll test them. Um, I'll do that for all the sports. So I have, you know, four or five sports. I'm doing that over the summer for, and I do as much or as little as I need to based on, you know, what things I've theorized about. So um, I like that time. It's probably, I don't know if it's my favorite time of year, but I enjoy that time of year because it's not so hectic. It's not so fast paced with trying to get bets in and, and, things slow down a lot. I could do more thinking. I could do more, more analyzing. And I really enjoy the, the data work, you know, finding edges through going through, uh, through data and testing things in my models, testing things I did that I thought were going to work, end up not working. What can I do better? You know, just all that kind of stuff that goes into breaking down data is, is kind of fun for me. Um, and you know, that's, that's, I try to fit all that into the summer if I can, once in a while that stuff spills over into late summer, early fall, because, you know, August is just basically college football a little bit. And then NFL starts in September. So that time for me isn't as busy either. Once we get to end of September, early October, I'm starting college basketball uh, pretty heavily, actually starting the beginning of September this year. So, you know, it's really, once we get to that time of year, it's, there's no more, there's no more data mining or things like that. I have to focus on the, the daily sports that are going on. So, uh, but yeah, going back to your, to your question, I mean, yeah, the summertime is really the best time for me to sit back and look at the big picture. I think it was Whale Kappa who told me a very good friend of the show, Whale Kappa, who said when the Thunder, I think it was when Durant and Westbrook were playing and they would sit for three or four minutes a game sometimes he found that during that period they would slow the play down and not score as much and the in-play totals betting wasn't factoring that in and, and he you know obviously found that out. Are those the types of things that you write down to look at or what's some examples of, of things that you might you know tuck away and look at in three or six months' time? Yeah, let me just pull up my list because uh, I can tell you, I'm not going to give them all away, but I can tell you a couple of things that I just thought might be worth looking at. Um so, yeah, one thing I wrote down is I, I do this to an extent now, but I could be doing this way better is looking for college basketball, looking at how particular teams play against different defensive styles, whether it's zone, man to man, playing against fast teams, against slow teams. I want to break that down further. And there's better data out there now than there was probably five years ago in that regard to see if I can find some valuable edges um, based on style of play. And even for offense as well, not, not just defense. So that's one thing I look at. And I don't, to be honest today, if you ask me how I'm going to do that, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll look at this list again in, in a couple months and I'll just sit back and, and, you know, sit outside my balcony, stare at the mountains and just kind of think about it for a while and say, how would I go about testing this? What kind of data do I need? Um, what kind of sample size is, is adequate? Um, what could go wrong? You know, what, you know, just think about all the variables that go into it. And, you know, I might find two or three really valuable things in a sport over the summer. I might find none some years. It depends on 
you know, how good my list was and how much work I had I'd put into it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's stuff out there. I mean, you know, it's really a lot of these things that people think of a lot of times, um, a lot of people bring up situational stuff or injuries, whatever it is. You hear a lot of talk in the, in the industry about, um, different factors and, and people say, I'm betting the bulls because of, you know, this particular factor, but they never go through the work of actually testing whether that, that, that is true or not. They don't try to quantify it. They don't go back through data. They just kind of say, I believe this is so and they bet accordingly. But for me as, as a, you know, doing this for a living, I feel like I have to go back and figure out whether my theory of why I bet a certain team throughout the season is actually true. Um, I just need to quantify. I need to know, is this really an edge or is it just variance? Cause there's so many things that you find in the data, you know, when you have a 20 year sample that are just random, you know, I'd say 95% of what I find ends up being random. And the other 5% that you find that actually isn't random, that stuff's gold. If you really, if you really latch onto it and say, wow, this, this is good stuff. It's stuff that other people aren't looking at. They don't know how to quantify. I mean, that's kind of how I make a living to be honest. So um, so I need to invest time in that. And if I don't invest time finding those kind of things and trying to quantify them, uh, other people are going to definitely pass me by. It's, there's no, it's just a marketplace where things are evolving very fast. There's a lot of smart people in sports betting. And now that we're legalized in, uh, what is it? Nine States now, and probably another 20 States in the next couple of years, you're going to see more and more smart people enter the marketplace and that's going to make it harder for everybody. So you got to constantly raise your game and constantly look at, you know, new things and test new theories. And like I said, if you're not, you're going to get passed by and your edge is going to eventually diminish to zero and it won't be worth it for you to bet anymore. So I, I'm constantly worried about that fact and I don't want to lose my edge. I want to keep my ROI where it's at. And if I don't keep fine tuning what I do, um, it's going to get bad for me. Do you ever reflect and do you have a sense on how much you've, get you've you know improved at doing this over time and i guess the ultimate aim is probably just to improve more than the the market improves so you can stay you know one step ahead yeah i mean for me it's it's usually about roi um i don't look too much at the dollars because you know what i'm betting today is a lot bigger than what i bet you know even a couple of years ago versus nine years ago i mean it, you know it increases over time so it's not how much money I make. It's the ROI because if I know my ROI is going in the right direction for each sport, um, I know I'm doing my job. If my ROI starts diminishing a couple of years in a row, then I've either missed something. Um, dynamics of the sport have changed. I haven't found enough new, you know, new things, new tidbits, new um, theories that they're going to add to my bottom line. I need to do a better job of that if my ROI is decreasing. So everything I do is based on ROI. Um, I look at ROI for sides, for totals, for money lines, for first half, second halves, by sport, for all those categories. And sometimes, I'll be honest, you, you see things that are, you know, like the money line ROI this year is much higher than it's been, a lot higher than it's been in the last couple of years when I bet money lines in college basketball. I'll be honest, though. I mean, a couple of those, you know, a couple of the reasons why are I hit a couple like plus 900 money lines this year. You know, I might go some years without hitting any of those. I don't bet too many of those high high underdog money lines, but I hit a few this year. So my ROI is, you know, really high. Um, so you have to kind of take it, take sample size into account when you're looking at the ROIs. But for me, that's kind of my barometer is if ROIs are trending in the right direction um, and volume too, to be honest. I mean, if I see my ROI sitting still, or let's say it's even going up my ROI, but my overall volume of bets 
is is coming down significantly, that's a problem too because I want to be able to apply my ROI over as many bets as possible. And I'm a high volume better as it is. So if my ROI goes from like, let's say, I don't know, 4% to 5.5%, you think I should be excited. But if my bet size is getting cut in half, then I'm making less money. And it's probably because I'm not betting enough games. I shouldn't have an ROI of 5.5%. If, if my ROI is that high, I'm doing something wrong. I'm, I'm leaving a lot of money on the table. Why am I not betting my 3 and 4% ROI games, even my 2% ROI games? So um, I always kind of laughed – or not laughed, but I always found it interesting that people a lot of times would brag about the fact they hit like 58%, 59%, 60%. And I'd always tell them, well, that's that's great, but you're leaving a ton of money on the table. You know, Why aren't you betting – your 54% games, 55% games as well. I mean, you shouldn't be hitting a percentage that high. Um, you need to be more in that 54, 55% range. I know a lot of guys at 53% and they make a great living. They're high volume betters like me and it's a small edge, but you apply that over thousands of games over the course of a season and you're going to make a lot of money and they make more money than guys hitting 58% in a lot of cases. So um, you got to keep that and in, in, take that into account, the volume side of it and apply that against the ROI because they work together to figure out how much money you're going to make. Fascinating. I want to ask, this might be a bit of a, a different angle or a different question completely, but you talked about 16-hour days. You know, you're watching a lot of games. You're at very high volume, I'm sure, so there's a lot to cover. Do you ever spend time on physical and mental health and, I guess, nurture that part of your life so you can continue doing this for a long time? Yeah, it's a great question, great topic that you don't really hear getting discussed in uh, the sports betting world too often. Um, and I think it's super important. I mean, obviously health is a big part of everybody's life, no matter what you do. And you hear a lot about health in our everyday lives. You see it in commercials, you see it on TV, you know, you see it all over TV and then, you know, newspapers, whatever, everybody talking about having better health. But I think as sports betters, it's even more important for us. And the reason why I say that is because we're in a high stress environment. Um, when you're betting large dollar amounts on games and watching games, your heart rate goes up. There's more stress on your body. There's more wear and tear. We're sitting at computer screens for, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day at a time. Yes, we get up and take breaks and, and things like that, but it's a lot of time being sedentary. You really need to get up and move a lot. So my first three years here in Las Vegas, I'll be quite honest. I did very little exercise. I wasn't eating that great either. Um, and I got myself in, you know, some, some health problems and some problems where I thought, man, this, this, this isn't worth it. And I'm, I'm, I might have some long-term issues, long-term effects of this. Um, but I started making it right. I started doing more exercise. I do a lot of hiking now. Um, I play a little bit of tennis. Um, I go on a lot of walks, especially if I'm you know, having a really stressful day, just going on like a 20 minute walk in the middle of the day. And, and Vegas is beautiful most, most times of the year. So walk outside, take a quick breather, come back in. Um, it, it's, it really makes a huge difference in my life. Um, cause like I said, I kind of let my health go by the wayside the first few years. And I, I regret that for sure. Um, I'm really a big believer too, in, in taking breaks for multiple days in a row, even in the heart of a sports season, um, if things aren't going well. So if I'm on a, a big downswing and let's say I've lost 20 units in three weeks or something ridiculous where it's just, everything is going against me and losing a lot of close games, the old me used to say, plow through it. It's going to turn around, you know, just keep grinding away. Don't worry about the fact that you're getting stressed out or losing sleep over it. That's affecting you me mentally and physically. Just keep going and don't 
cost yourself an opportunity to make money. It could swing any day now, and tomorrow could be the day where you win, you know, eight units in one day. Don't take a day off. Well, I've come kind of, you know, to the belief now where where you're much better off taking a day or two or even three days, even in the middle of a sports season, if it gets you back to a point where the stress levels are down, you feel better. Um, it, the mental health side of it is so big. We hear a lot more about mental health these days. I think it is overlooked a lot in sports betting because I see a lot of betters that have gone into depression that um, have lost their spouse. I mean, so many betters I know have gotten divorced or they are single and they can't have a love life because, you know, they're too busy handicapping sports all the time. I just don't know that many successful betters who have, you know, a wife and kids and manage their family and their betting life perfectly. It's hard to do. So the health side of it is so big because if you're not healthy and you're stressed and, you know, you're all out of sorts, it's going to affect your, your, your spouse, your family, your kids, you know, everybody around you, your friends. So, um, I've really made it a point for me to have scheduled days off and even non-scheduled days off, you know, when, when things aren't going well, Hey, I'm taking a day or two. I don't care if I miss the fact that, you know, I might miss 50 bets and maybe I would have went, you know, 40 and 10 of those bets. I don't know, but it's much better to take those days off and feel better. You come back, recharge, you come back, refresh, you come back like a different person. And for me, you know, I value each day. So I'd rather feel good and, and, you know, potentially miss an opportunity and have my long-term health be better, maybe live a longer life because of the fact that I'm not so bogged down and stressed about, you know, a bad run or just not getting the breaks because, like I said, I've been there through the struggles where even when I was winning and winning big, working too many hours. I was working, you know, 90 to 100-hour weeks the first couple of years I was here in Las Vegas because I really wanted to prove to myself I could do this, and I handicapped pretty much every sport, you know, including all the big sports, including, like, WNBA and silly stuff that – you know, I, I did over the summer just to, to have more bets and finally realized it's much better to take a more measured approach where I focus on three, four sports throughout the year. Don't don't need to make every single last dollar because, you know, I need that balance in my life. So I'm glad you brought up health because it doesn't get talked about in the sports betting circles. And I think it's more important for betters in a lot of respects than it is for the average person with a regular job where they work, you know, a nine to five type uh, environment where there's not as much stress, not as much um, wear and tear in your body and as much sitting and things like that, because as sports betters, our lifestyles are very, very different than, than many people out there. So I think health is a, a huge factor. Nowadays, do you stress individual games or, or even a day where you might have a fair few units in play and you're not concerned or fearful, but just, you know, hoping for the best and there might be some just general stress to go along with it? Oh yeah. I mean, I still stress about games and I always will. I mean, no matter how much money I have in my bank account, how much, um, how well I'm doing, how many units I'm up for the season. I always get that little bit. Of, it's not, you know, stress is a, you know, it's a vague word, right? I mean, the, my levels of stress vary. I'm not, I, I have a much bigger picture view of things now than I did my first few years where I was trying to prove to myself I can make this a, a long-term profession. Now I'm much more comfortable with the fact that, hey, I'm going to be doing this probably for a very long time and it's going to be okay if I lose $30,000 one day, you know, it's going to happen and you know, whatever, I'll get it back. It, you know, it, things go up and down the ebb and flow. But that being said, you know, I still look at the results every day. And if, if I have a couple of bad days in a row, you know, these thoughts creep into your head, like you worry, Hey, am I losing my edge? Am I not doing enough work? 
Am I missing something in the market? You know, especially if you go through a few weeks in a row or even a couple of months in a row where, man, the results just aren't there. And everybody has those. I don't care how good you are. I don't care if you're Billy Walters or, or whoever. You're going to have bad stretches for a couple of months um, where things aren't working out for you. And you just start questioning yourself. You start thinking, man, do I need to modify my models? Do I need to approach things differently? Do I need to put more work in? Am I, am I working too hard? I need to work less. I mean, all these question marks pop up. And, you know, it's just it's a natural human tendency, I think. Um, but I think it's really important to always go back to big picture. And a lot of times when I have, um, you know, a bad day or I'm getting stressed about games, I kind of look at my results, you know, for the last year, or last two years, whatever it is to make myself feel better about the fact that, Hey, you're making great money. Things are going well, big picture wise, who cares if you had a bad day, bad week, or even bad month, you're going to be fine in the long term. but it's really tough. I mean, it's tough to tell yourself that, um, when you're in the heat of the moment, because, as as human beings, we tend to focus on the now. We don't focus on five years from now. Um, we don't focus on even two weeks from now. We focus on today. And I think we need to probably spend less time worrying about the results today, and more t time worrying about the results for the year, for the you know the three year, five year sample. Because there's a lot of variance that plays you know a role in in betting, and you really have to take that into account because um, variance can be very um, non-telling. I mean, it could tell you something that's really not there. It could tell you something like, you know, that you're not a good handicapper when in fact you are, you're just seeing a lot of a bad breaks going against you. So yeah, you need to kind of take it in perspective. And I was really bad in my early days with perspective. And now I have a much fuller, broader perspective than I did back then. Yeah, no, that's a fascinating answer. I want to ask before I let you go about some of the books or research or articles or, or even people that you follow that you can apply some of the, the principles and concepts that you've read or or sought out that you can share with the listeners about what might be useful for them to, to dig into as well? Yeah, well, I mentioned books in the beginning. I've read every book out there on sports betting. I'll be totally honest. There aren't that many good books out there to read. I mean, Sharper Sports Betting is good. Um, Weighing the Odds in Sports Betting, another good book. Um, uh, there's a few others out there. I mean... Uh, but the, to be honest, it really isn't a great uh, isn't a great library of books you can read. I mean, a lot of what I've read is talking to other people, or to, a lot of what I learned is talking to other people. You know, back in the day, used to be a lot of message boards out there. Now they're not as popular, and you don't get as much activity on those. Um, but you really need to reach out to people that are doing this at a high level successfully. Um, you learn a lot from people around you, and then you need to just do a lot of trial and error in your betting. I mean, I mean, to be honest, I mean, most of what I learned that's made me successful today is just based on me trying things and, you know, maybe betting smaller, doing things over a short sample to see if, if, you know, if my theories are correct, doing back testing over the summer, things like that. Um, it's a lot of it, you know, it's just trial and error on my own. You know, you're not going to be able to learn everything you can from everybody else and apply it. I mean, you've got to learn some of those lessons on your own. You need to kind of carve yourself your own niche because at the end of the day, I could tell somebody, you know, a young up and coming guy, here's how I did it. But for him, it doesn't work because he's a different person. Um, he doesn't want to do things the way I do them, you know? So it's, it's, you got to kind of do what fits your personality style. And, and if you're going to do what fits your personality style, it really comes down to finding your own way of doing things and maybe taking a little bit from everybody around you and what you read and what you, what you, what you learn and applying that into your own methodology uh, to, to win at betting sports. Cause that's, at the end of the day, we have to do things according to who we are and, and, and how we are as human beings. Great advice. Well, 
thanks for sharing a lot of your insights and certainly taking some time out of your day to have a chat for the podcast. Yes. Thanks for having me, Jake. I appreciate it. And, uh, and I hope we'll do it again at some point. Thank you.